Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host, and we have a very cool show today. And you know, I was chatting with uh, my guest, Ken, uh, before we started the show, and the one question I forgot to ask him, I'm going to ask him now, um, is how to pronounce his last name, because I don't want to share the bio. and um, and murder his last name. So um, is it Ghidreau or Ghidreau's? Ghidreau's, but it's a good intuition, Ghidreau, just because it's Cajun. So okay. you know, Boudreau and Fontenot are very big down in Louisiana, but Ghidreau's, for some reason, my dad pronounced the Z, so it's, it is Ghidreau's. Okay. All right. Um, I actually did a little poking around to see if I could figure that out before we met, and then I forgot to ask you about it. Okay. Well, let me let me tell you about Ken, um, and then we will um, formally bring him into the show. Uh, a former pastor for the past 20 years, Ken Guidros, designed specialty retirement plans for companies. In 2010, he wrote the go-to book on these kinds of plans beyond the 401k. When his son went to prison in 2016, he wrote him many letters. Remarkably, over several years, it changed their relationship and their lives. This led to the book Letters to My Son in Prison, in which Ken tells the story of their reconnection and the story of how he and his wife managed to stay together and the story of how he reconnected with God outside the walls of religion. Ken, welcome to Freedom for Humans. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. Um so again, we were having a lively chat before we started the show, and I was telling Ken that I, um, I have not completed it, but I'm I'm into his book, and I, from the moment that I opened it, I truly had trouble putting it down. Um, I was sitting with my mom, and I think we were chatting off and on, and something was on the TV, and I finally had to say, "My goodness, I cannot put down um, this book." So. Um, I, you know, I just want to say to you, you mentioned, you know, in, in your on your website and in a couple of things that I read that you didn't necessarily set out to be a writer or um, consider yourself a writer. And I'm finding your writing to be just beautiful and compelling. And the descriptions make me feel like I'm right there in your story. And that that is a big compliment because that's, you know, that was my aspiration was to be able to write uh, viscerally and uh, because as you know, when you go through trauma, it's it's about as visceral as it can get, right? Yes. You're feeling everything and you're experiencing everything. And and oddly, sometimes you're actually pushing things away that, that are actually there. And, and sometimes writing about it brings it back, right? Like, for example, when I wrote that first letter to my son, I remember, I can actually remember, it was right at this desk that I'm sitting at. It was right here. And I remember the feelings that started to to bubble up that, you know, if I hadn't written about it, I probably wouldn't ever remember those. So anyway, that's a, that's a great compliment. I, you know, that makes me, um, so when you're writing, um, do you find that after you've written something, 
and you either read it back or I don't know if you have a process of reading aloud at all what you've written. Do you do that at all? I, I do. Yep. Okay, I do as well. And I find that when I read it, when I read it back, but particularly when I read it back aloud, if it's not honest, if it's not honest, like if I'm not really getting at the heart of what I'm trying to say, it's it's quite apparent to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and, and I Microsoft Word has this new thing called read aloud. I don't know if you've seen that, but mm -hmm. you, your text can be read to you. So I put on headphones to kind of like, miniaturize my world mm. and hearing it read to me is actually also really helpful and and helps with authenticity because you know authenticity to me is a process it's not you're either authentic in this moment or you're not you know authenticity it to me it's it's almost revelatory it's almost discovery like yeah. i have to discover what i genuinely feel about this subject I just wrote a, I write a weekly essay and I just wrote a piece on David um, from the Bible and, and his incident with Bathsheba. And I was writing about how glad I was that this was in the Bible, this big mistake. <laughs> this, this great guy fell so hard and it was almost like a sadistic pleasure. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I, I'm actually glad. I am actually glad that this knucklehead is is in there because then I feel like a little less of a knucklehead. Right. <laughs> but to get there, I had to write it and I had to rewrite it. I had to hear it and read it. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. this. And finally, I felt like I, I kind of know when I arrive at my authentic self and my authentic voice, there's something about either the reading or the hearing it in my ears that I just know it. Yes, me too. Me too. Okay. Thank you for, I just was curious. Um, I write as well, and I wanted to ask you about that. So um, let's, um, let's get into your story. Um, it's so compelling. And, you know, it's one of those things that we see it on the news. We might hear about it happening to somebody else. Maybe it happens to somebody else in our, in our circle or a couple um, circles out from our circle but we don't necessarily expect it to happen to us. Um, and it did happen in your family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So let's talk about what happened. Yeah, it, it was, um, it was a shocker to us. You know, we, my wife and I raised uh, three sons pretty close in age. Um, you know, we thought pretty well, we thought we were good parents and I think we were decent parents. Um, but as they migrated through high school and into college, um, you, you had mentioned I, I was a pastor. I actually was a pastor out of college and then left the ministry and then came back in as my sons were entering adolescence. So there was a little bit of um, flammable material, if you will, right? So now I'm going into a high profile position in our city uh, with a lot of people around us and knowing us. And my sons are entering adolescence. Mm. So, you know, that that was precarious, right? Because what reflects on them reflects on me all of a sudden. Before that, we're just we're just a couple. We're just family. We're like everybody else. But all of a sudden now we become like not like everybody else. So when my son does X, you know, it, it can reflect on me in this weird preacher kid kind of way. Right. And so and I'm not blaming that. I'm only saying that that was there in our life 
uh, as they, I think my son, oldest son was 13, 14, right? 15, maybe. And so there, there was a combination of opioid and, and, and just drugs in general, you know, presence. Um, they, you know, my two oldest sons kind of, you know, became popular in basket because they were good at basketball. I was in the ministry. All of a sudden there's external pressure. So there's all these, you know, things that were there. And again, I'm not blaming them, but they were just there. And it, mm-hmm. it resulted in a pretty crazy behavior amongst all three, eventually all three of my boys, one of whom in his twenties, you know, just started to use opioids, he graduated to heroin, even meth for a while. And he just couldn't let go of it. As as, as many of us parents have experienced, it, it can grab a hold of you in this, yeah. in a way that you just, you may, maybe, maybe I can't relate to, but I, I can project how it could grab a hold of somebody. And it grabbed a hold of my middle son, Lucas. He eventually was high after work, drove home, killed a man tragically, rear-ended him with his car. um, And the man was dead before he hit the pavement. Um, The man was on a bicycle. And so there was a horrible, tragic event. A widow was made that afternoon and he went to prison you know, so yes, it it was a hellacious, unexpected um, turn of events. Of course, I you know way before this, I had resigned the ministry, not in disgrace, because you know it, not like my church you know humiliated me, but but it was it was a bit humiliating. Just as a dad who really had tried, my oldest son struggled. This son struggled. Eventually, my other son struggled with opioids. Uh-huh. You know, so it's like, are you kidding me? Are yeah. you kidding me? This is happening. Like it was almost comical at one point where I was like, you like what else could be piled on (laughs) to this scenario that so anyway, that's what happened that led, of course, to to the book. Okay. So okay, so all three of your sons eventually as they grew into their teens and early adulthood struggled with with some form of addiction or ab- abuse of substances. It, two of them didn't. Did. Yeah. Two of them did the oldest to a degree, but much less so. But yeah, at one point th- there was about a five year period, three to five year period where all of them were doing horribly. We're using. And... Yeah. That was the dynamic. Oh my goodness. And so, um, so that first of all, might've, was that surprising to you as it began to, as you, as you began to see that happen in your family, given your history and the way you'd raised your boys and being in the ministry and just how you had been living, were you surprised to see that addiction, um, and substance abuse come into your family as it did? I mean, that would be an understatement. Okay. Okay. It was utterly ground shakingly shocking yes okay and of course you you doubt you doubt yourself what did we do right of course i look at my wife i'm like what did you do no i'm just teasing (laughs) um but but actually that does happen as things start to go you know you you look at at what you perceive as weaknesses in your spouse she's an enabler she looks at me you know i'm a just a general asshole <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, a, you know sullen and and you know whatever her critiques are actually i know what they are but i'd rather not no no um right so 
so in any relationship when there's trauma you 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 see the weaknesses and you seize on them and you might say things that you wouldn't normally say and, and did we yes we did and it was tense it was tough and i talk about that in the book and even in the prologue it opens up with my wife and i you know uh struggling with each other mm-hmm. as my son is in prison and and um it tested our relationship like nothing else nothing else um it tested my relationship with myself <laughs> what did I, you know how how did this happen and what did i do so to wrestle through that through through the the addictions happening through the accident through prison that's tough stuff and that's you know the lowest stuff in my life the lowest moments of my life where where you have to try to not destroy yourself with your negative self talk you've got to and then of course there's the god element so you know because in some ways a relationship with god at least for me i'll just talk about me there's a bit of a quid pro quo there's a little bit of a okay if i do this if i make these sacrifices i'm going to be blessed this way now mm-hmm. i realize the bible isn't that overt but you kind of you kind of have that if i if i raise my kids this way i'm at least going to get you know right right outcome well when that completely flips you you struggle you ask yourself what does this mean about me and god and is there is he even listening to me or is he punishing me? Or, you know what I mean? You go through all of that. And I went through all of that to the point where I could, I literally couldn't even open a Bible without a flood of bad memories just pouring into my mind. So I just kept it closed. (laughs) Wow. So something that had been, I'm guessing a source of great comfort and inspiration and growth and everything actually became a source of suffering for you huge negative a huge yeah literally a flood of bad memories this is this was a life i used to live i actually used to teach it and preach it and believe it and and now it's it's a mockery it it felt to me like almost mocking me and so yeah, I mean, I didn't deny God. I never shook my fist. I never, you know, but but oh, but praying felt frivolous. Mm-hmm. Opening the Bible was incredibly difficult. In fact, I just didn't. And of course, didn't go to church anywhere for years just because it felt so um incomplete and almost it just brought back such bad memories my wife and i both we were like our church is the two of us <laughs> and the beach right? okay yeah did it trigger a sort of imposter syndrome in a way where you i'm just wondering like where you believe yourself to be this and then this thing happens that seems so different from who you believe yourself to be and the life you believe you're here to live that you start to, did you just start to question your entire paradigm? Yes, but not so much as an imposter because our faith was authentic and is authentic. You know what I mean? It's, it wasn't, I wasn't a pastor for the paycheck or for the notoriety or, you know what I mean? I was a pastor because I wanted to help people. 
and and my my faith has never been about or even migrated to um anything fake but it was a defeated syndrome it was a a failure syndrome i see this didn't work for us syndrome and and we just went flatlined you know we just flatlined it was like okay there's there's like this thread we're hanging on to a literal thread we're not going to sever the thread maybe it's a fishing line <laughs> strength of a fishing line okay was, you know what i'm saying it was thin and and there were about i don't know 7 plus years of of just kind of like barely existing spiritually oh my goodness that sounds awfully that sounds awfully painful it was tough oh my goodness and you had been through i mean there had been through you had been through very tough times for a number of years prior i mean anybody who's listening who has addiction or substance abuse in their life or particularly has children uh, who have become dependent or um, or abuse substances knows that it you can't you can't really do anything to fix it. But boy, you feel like you should be able to, or that you are responsible for it, even though you're not. It's uh, true. You go through all of that stuff. It's all uh, of that. It's tough. Wow. All right. Well, we are coming up on a break. Um, and when we get back, I want to hear more about, um, you know, kind of that, that, that day, that pivot, that, that change that happened and then how you began to write and where that led you. You're listening to Freedom for Humans and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you're listening to giraffe tango octopus freedom for humans have your own story or have questions for kirsten or her guests Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we have Ken Guidroz on today. And we're talking about the story behind his book, Letters to My Son in Prison. Um. And Ken, before the break, um, kind of toward the beginning of the show, you had talked about um, just how your son, um, kind of the opioids had really gripped him. Um, And I just wanted to mention that it's a different situation, but I had some um, cancer treatment and I was on uh, pretty high doses of uh, morphine and oxycodone for, you know, over a period of time. And I became opioid dependent. And um, when I was withdrawing from it, uh, which I, I, I have a history with addiction and addiction recovery. So I kind of knew, I knew what was happening and I knew that I needed to get off of them. And I knew what would happen to me if I didn't. Um, And so it was the, worst of it. And my partner at the time was leaving. I needed him to leave. I'm like, I don't want anybody to look at me, talk to me. My fingernails hurt. My hair hurts. Like it was just horrible. Um, and he said, are you going to be okay? And I looked up at him and I said, I would pay a thousand dollars for one pain pill right now. Mm. And he had this terrified look on his face and he said, no, you wouldn't, which was sort of like this wish, right? that what was happening would maybe not be happening. (laughs) And so I guess I just wanted to say I, it's a different situation, but I kind of know what it feels like to be gripped by opioids and the pain of getting off of them and staying off of them is, is intense. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it is a tough go. It is. And I, 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 I haven't experienced that, but I, I have empathy for it because I can, I, I've seen it, of course, around my household and um, it, it is, it's, it's incredibly painful. Uh, of course, you know, prison will, uh, you know, withdrawal and everything else is, is, is painful in, in, in a, a rough environment, especially when you're being mocked oh. fellow inmates, you yeah. know, you can imagine men at LA County prison at LA County jail. It's, it's a ruthless place. And I, I knew it. And Lucas found out, you know, just how painful that was. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, um, okay. So you, ha- there's a number of years of addiction and there are attempts to get clean. Um, yes. yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about Lucas now. I mean, um, you talked about your other boys also having some of these experiences, but, um, so Lucas had attempted to get clean before. Um, and I'm guessing you and your wife had gone through a lot already. Yes. Th- there's that rebound and circularity of addiction, right? Where right. you, you have moments of clarity and you want to change and you, you try and you may go through a program. So yes, we, all of that stuff. Now I'll be honest with you. We, we, as, as the family of, of someone struggling 
did did not go the AANA uh, Al-Anon route. And I talk about that in the book, how, just how how fatigued we were by the time, yeah. you know, the end of this. And having come from a an unhealthy church, now it's a church, you know, as a pastor, I tried to make healthy, but really wasn't. And, and, and with all the meetings, all the counseling, all the, you know what I mean? 30, 25 years at the time of that just made it difficult for me to to do maybe what I should have done with Lucas, but we we did many, many things. He did many things, Reco- uh, rehab, detox, you know, paid for all kinds of stuff. But yeah, none of that worked. And so it took prison for him. It took prison to uh, jail in particular to break. And yes, he did detox at LA County and it was ugly, but it, but he did detox and he did live. Well, thank goodness. So, okay. So what was that initial period like for you where this accident has occurred? Um, He's um, hit a man who was riding his bike. Um, The man died. There was some, I don't know what, there was some drug involvement. I mean, there was some, some drug involvement in the accident. Is that true? He was high, very high on heroin. Okay. Okay. All right. So that has occurred. You you and your wife now, you now know this has occurred. And your son is sitting in L.A. County and, you know, he's withdrawing in L.A. County. So what's what's going on for you and your wife at this point? Well, you know, there was the question of bail. Do you post bail? And, and, and Joyce and I said, absolutely not. We wouldn't post bail if it was a nickel. And, and I know that sounds hard. I and I, I hope no one listening judges me, but we just were at the end of our ability to tolerate this. And you know how it is. Sometimes you enter points in your life where trauma is dictating your life and you, your better judgment is not. Although even today, you know, many years later, I still wouldn't post bail only because here's somebody that has been through all those cycles of addiction and nothing has worked. And finally, he's contained but he killed a man. So I'll be honest with you, Kirsten. I was, I barely thought of him for that first week. I knew he was Mm -hmm. in LA County, but I'll be really honest. I did not grieve for him. I grieved for the man. I didn't grieve for him. And so, you know, did I, I mean, I know I should have, but I didn't. And so it was very, very tough. Now, uh, as a dad, you know, my feelings softened over time. Mm-hmm. Um, my feelings, uh, you know, at the very end, or not the very end, but several weeks into it were were better. In fact, I don't remember how many weeks, five or six weeks, we had this amazing moment, Lucas and I, when he finally completely, all the drugs were out of his system. And he, it finally hit him. It was the first time I had visited him alone in, in prison, face-to-face. There was glass and we were on phones. But still, it was face to face, just me, the dad, and him, the son. And he, in this, and by the way, no one else was in the visiting room, which never happens. It was just me and my son. And he completely broke down. He completely realized what his life, he was 27, 28 at the time, he realized in that moment what a disappointment his life had been and how frustrated he was that his life had become that. 
and that he had killed a man. You know what I mean? Everything, everything came on his shoulders in this moment between me and him. And, and I, it, it was, it was fascinating. And, and maybe I, I should have, but I didn't even tear up. I mean, I teared up, but I didn't cry. And I just watched him weep and wail and grieve and come to terms with what he had done in front of my very eyes. I mean, how often does that happen in your life? That How many fathers and sons have a moment where such magnitude comes to your to your your awareness and together it was and i don't want to use the wrong word it was in a way beautiful and even today you know 7 years later we don't really talk about that moment but he and i have a connection that is just you know, it's something that very few fathers and sons will ever have because of the degree of the trauma and the degree of uh, of the the sin, if you will, the sin against humanity. Mm-hmm. You can't describe it any other way. And and then we were there together, and I was there to say, "I love you, and I'm going to be with you through this." And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that was magical in some ways. Well, it almost feels like. You know, he was having an epiphany um, of of sorts and that you were there to, wit- you know, y- he chose you perhaps to witness that. Um, because I think because when somebody witnesses something for us, it to me, it becomes sometimes more transformational than it would. It just lives inside of us or inside of our head when there is another human to act as a kind of a mirror even or a witness to us. And I just feel like it, you know, it was very moving. The way you write about it was incredibly moving. It's like I have this vision in my head and um, the, the true vulnerability I feel like that happens when we drop all of the narratives the defenses, the worries about judgment, the all the things, right, that we carry around that keep us really from fully letting go. It just, it sounds as though he just laid down his weapons. He, that's a great, <laughs> he laid down his weapons. You're right. And, and it happened to be in front of me. Of course, you know, there's the father-son thing. There's the proud of you thing, right? There's the you know, we all want our dads to respect us, to be proud yes. of us. So there, there yes, was, of course, that element. And I tried not to, you know, put that, push, push that into his face. I, I never tried. Even, even during his lowest moment, we didn't, you know, fortunately degrade into that. But yeah, there was all that as well. So, um, okay, so that's around six weeks or so in to the process after he's been arrested. And at that point, you don't know what's going to, you don't know what's going to become of him legally or anything like that. Right. Right. Okay. And what is going on um, with you and your wife at this point? Because I mean, these types of traumas sometimes put long-term marriages to the absolute test. They do. They do. It, t- it tests you 
you know, the bail question. On that one, we were 100% on the same page. Oh, really out of desperation. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't elegant at all. It was just desperation. But yes, there's there's the uh, being there when he's arraigned. I'll be honest, I was not my best self. I couldn't even be around my friends. We had a few friends there. I couldn't, I had to pace, I'm pacing. You know what I mean? I don't even sit with my wife. I, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I, 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 it's just weird. I feel like she's worrying too much, right? And I'm, you know what I mean? It just, it brings the worst out. And yes, it did bring the worst out. So the different, there's a, a hearing, there's a preliminary hearing, there's a sentencing, there's an arraignment, right? There's various court days. And those are the most memorable to me where it was testy. Driving mm-hmm. there is testy. Uh-huh. Uh, just, you know, I, you read the prologue, right? You know, they only take cash in the parking lot. I know. They only take cash. I don't ever carry cash. She doesn't. And then I judge her for not bringing cash. And she's like, what the hell? Who do you, why would you, you know, what I mean? that whole, and that just went on for months and months and, and kind of through the whole time, because there wasn't good news for years. You know, I, I didn't know how this would turn out. Right. Like you just said. And so, yes, it was test. It tested us. We had to come to new places. We found, you know, we we found that seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, sitting there watching Grey's Anatomy, you know, and and pausing DVR and talking. That, you know, and the room's dark, so you're not looking at each other. You can kind right. of just walk into the darkness, right? And you can, you know, you have a glass of wine and you're relaxing, and you, you know, there's there's that thing that did help us. I'll be honest, it really helped us, and so. Um, w- were we a model? No. Did we make it? Yes. And, and I don't know. I think making it is, is the thing. I think making it's the thing. And you, every couple has their own thing. And, the, and, and, and you, Kirsten, you may accept compromises in your relationship that I look at and judge and think, whoa, she's less of a person. And you would do the same with me. You'd say, well, Ken, and again, you probably knowing you, you wouldn't say it, but you may think it. <laughs> I can't believe you'd make that compromise. Okay, fair enough. But I I wanted to make it. I wanted to make it with Joyce for the rest of my life. Right. And so I'm gonna make it. I and I know, and I know my gut. I know when it's the right time to say something and it's mm-hmm. the right time to not say to shut the big yapper. Yep. And in a relationship, that's important, knowing when to shut up, right? And, and you may you may or may not be right on something. Right doesn't even matter. Anyway, the point is that I learned to listen to my own instincts in relating to my wife through trauma. And I think that was smart in the end. And as I look back, I was like, yeah, I was leaning into my instincts. I, I do. My gut was telling me this, and I kind of went that way, and that was smart. So anyway, you know, that that's how we managed, I think, is to is to learn to do that. Okay. So you found it sounds like you kind of found some more informal ways that maybe didn't because there was so much going on that was so very serious. And so if you're having to like sit down and have a serious conversation about your marriage or, you know, go see somebody and have a, you know, that that's a lot of seriousness and almost a lot of maybe overly structured um, for what you were going through, because trauma really does bring a whole other 
um, dynamic into a situation. So when you talk about not being your best self, I mean, you were, you were a person in trauma. Yes. Right. And we all, we don't know necessarily uh, how we act in trauma um, until we go through it. And then of course the intensity of this trauma was something that's completely outside of the realm of normal human experience. Yeah. And I think that there is no normal, there's no right way for a husband and wife or any relationship you know, to be in this time, I don't think you, you may say, well, there's three keys or five takeaways, you know, okay, fair enough. If there's only, if there's one formal thing I, I, I've taken away, it's that you listen to your gut. Yeah. It, because you know, the dynamic, right? You know, with your partner, exactly what will piss him off or, or that she will take wrong or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You, Nobody knows. In fact, often that person doesn't even know. You, you, in fact, you don't even, you couldn't even articulate it. And so the, listening to your instincts as, as you're sitting there pausing Gray's Anatomy and having a talk about something, that to me is the, is the most important thing right there. And so that I did learn is to trust it to know how to decipher it with all the other noise. And, and I don't know, I, I think that's about as golden as it comes when it, you know, it comes to trauma. I agree. And whatever, whatever works for you, whatever brings you to the, to the healthiest outcome for you is, I, I mean, I find that to be a success. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. 
The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and I'm here with Ken Gidros, and we're talking about his book, Letters to My Son in Prison. And I wanted to ask um, in our final segment about the basically the role that forgiveness um, played uh, for you. And I'm curious, just given your history and some of the things that we've talked about, what, how did you experience forgiveness before in your life? And then how did you experience it or did it show up for you after um, this traumatic event with Lucas occurred? Well, as you know, forgiveness is, is, that's a deep one. That's a Mm -hmm. deep topic, right? Because there's, there's kind of God forgiveness. There's the widow forgiving or not forgiving Lucas and, and our mm-hmm. family, right? Yeah. There's the, the the relationship. There's, you know, there's so many layers to it. <clears throat> there's self-forgiveness. Right. There's coming to terms with your own um, things you've done and, and how you feel, how you process that. So it, it is... It's kind of like um, moving from an intellectual understanding of something to a visceral understanding is what I would say, the before and after. Mm-hmm. I understood forgiveness before in, in to the degree that my life required it, right? And, and there's no judgment to that. It's just if you have a relatively easy life and you're a relatively good person, which I think there are some people <clears throat> that are maybe a little more just naturally good, right? And they for understand forgiveness at a certain level. Whereas, you know, when you when you go through your crap, whatever it is, and, and in my case, it was it was very deep. It was very traumatic. It was very tragic. Tragic's a big word. Mm-hmm. Um, a man lost <clears throat> a man lost his life, right? He's yeah. not here today. And and I I tried to pay homage to him and do, you know, every day. And Lucas does. By, by how he lives his life now. But the the degree of the tragedy is so high, you know, that, that forgiveness for me and for my son took on a whole nother dimension, a whole additional dimension of, of processing it. I, I, I even, as a dad, as a dad of Lucas, had to process kind of the spiritual almost universal way that you know how do you justify a man you think about it he was he never even saw the thing happening right he it just happened he never saw the car even for that split second approaching it was from behind mm-hmm. so like how does god or the universe how, how do you process the fairness of that for him from his perspective like mm-hmm. that's like I even dived it, dove into, you know, reincarnation and kind of that thing, which isn't my own, you know, personal uh, sensibility. Mm-hmm. It's more, you know, of a of a of a Christian spiritual one. And but yet I, I kind of had to explore that. And 
And even to this day, you don't have a, you can't really answer the question of why did that happen? It just happened because it can. Yes. The kind of world we have, and that in my opinion, God created. He didn't create a closed system. He created an open system where a man can take a gun and shoot somebody. Yeah. It's the kind of world we live in. And it's purposely created that way because a man can also bless another man with a meal and with money and with with grace, right? So there's the equal amount good and bad. and but But processing that, Kirsten, on a different level was, and don't take this wrong, but it was one of the most beautiful things in my life. Mm-hmm. Troubling things, difficult things, but it has brought my own awareness of the universe and of God and even of the universe in, in the in the physical sense, like the expanding. It just everything about it is so different to me now than it was 10 years ago that I can't even describe it. It's, the world almost has almost unfolded to me in this mm-hmm. it it's ugliness and yet it's elegance in this i don't know richer way yeah that's it in this richer way now where i i i experience it you know uh tomorrow is is the uh winter solstice right mm-hmm. the shortest day of the year which to me is just this beautiful year and i'm you know i'm going out i'm going to the mountains i'm going to camp i'm going to get under the stars in my sleeping bag mm. right and i'm just going to look at the stars because the stars the universe the physical universe just i don't know it's just richer to me and more mind boggling in this beautiful lovely way i know that was a weird answer to your question but that's my answer Well, it makes me think of um, listening to you just, it almost makes me think that, that there, that you were hit with like this clarity of the connectedness, Mm. right, of everything and the cause and effect and the randomness and the coincidences and the timing and the, you know, I mean, the chances of being on the road at that time of I'm not sure, it, you know, like maybe he drifted off. Did he drift off yes, onto the, yes. okay. So he drifted off onto the shoulder. He does that at this very specific spot where this gentleman happens to be out riding his bike. Like I can understand how that would make you zoom out in a way and look at all of the, all of the little detailed connections that make this amazing universe that we live in exactly exactly it made it richer and and did it um did it make you sort of question like well why why would i hang on to this this upsetness or why would i hang on to this resentment when i can zoom out and see that i mean my goodness the cause and effect of every little thing that we do every single day is i don't know what you believe in some ways it's not within our control. I mean, we're in the flow of it, but we don't control it. Yeah. And and, uh, one word that almost captures it all for me is mystery. Mm, It is mysterious because if you enter, if you inject free will into a situation, it is now mysterious. So if there, and again, just 
according, you know, if there is a God that created us and now free will is in the equation, it is just this mysterious quandary, right? And so you can get frustrated by the mystery or you can be enamored by the mystery. Mm -hmm. I'm enamored. I'm more enamored with the mystery now than I was five years ago, 10 years ago. And that enamorment, to me, translates into worship, into into awe. Mm -hmm. To me, that, I don't know, there's just nothing better in life than awe. That, to me, is the transcendent, ultimate place to be in your life, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, in awe, at the mystery it's still a quandary. It's you still don't get it. You still it still confuses you. You use the word clarity. Okay, yes, there's more clarity, but it's almost clarity that there's a mystery. Yes, <laughs> that we don't really know anything. Exactly, it's this beautiful, you know, quandary on top of a mystery on top of a, a, a you a know conundrum wrapped in a, a conundrum. <laughs> and and you say, well, that's frustrating. I say. That's awe-inspiring. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not sure that's very tangible or that's, you know, I could even write a piece on that. I It just is. I've never even articulated, so I did with you just now, that it, it's just, at least to me, this beautiful, glorious state to be in. Well, and I, I have also embraced in the last couple of years, I've made a lot of changes and I've embraced the I don't know. Um, right. The idea I lived a different life before, and I, it was a life of planning and executing and making a certain outcome happen and judging the success of something by whether the outcome that I wanted to happen happened in the way that I wanted it to. And all this, my goodness, it was very stressful again. Yeah. It's a very stressful way to live. A word that comes to me that I'm just loving is humility. Yes. Like when you have reached humility in your life, that is a beautiful place to be. It it's is so freeing. It's so freeing. Say more about how that has been for you. I just think it's, in some ways, it's the ultimate state. It's almost, it trumps mystery only, only because being, hum- <clears throat> being humble <clears throat> leads you to realizing the mystery and and to not resenting the mystery. Yes. It's almost like humility is the ultimate characteristic to have in your life. That if you genuinely are humble and, and you have a posture of humility, of acceptance, of of ego being suppressed a little bit, not even suppressed in a negative way, ego just being moderated. Right. Whenever your ego flares, you you either get humble or you get humiliated, is what I find. (laughs) (laughs) You can choose humiliation or you can just humble yourself. Mm. I'll share this and I I hope he doesn't mind because he will hear this podcast. You know, Lucas, you know, even just a couple of weeks ago, I called him. I just said, hey, man, it seems like you're losing a little bit of humility. I'm I'm a little bit concerned about you, man. You know, and he was like, he was totally open. He's like, Dad, you can ask me about that anytime you want. And and we have forever an openness. And I I dig that about him. Because we he can call me and just say, Dad, you're being an asshole, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. And I can tell him, hey, Luke, I feel, I feel like you're losing a little bit of humility. Because I think 
humility leads to everything else. What was so cool after that phone call is that he just completely changed with how he was with his his son, mm. us, how he was with his wife, how he was with me, how he was with, especially with my wife, his mom, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit of a asshole with his mom. And I was like, okay, man, you know, just be more humble. But anyway, I think humility is the ultimate quality that leads to so many other good things. And yes, did humility thrust itself upon me uh, as a parent and as a husband and as a, as a man of faith? Yes. I feel like I was squashed, <laughs> right, by events. And, and maybe it was a little humiliation, but who cares how you get there? The question is, at your, you know, where you are in life, are you humble? And I think if you are, so many good things can come as a result of that. I completely agree. I was, for the reasons I mentioned, because I was trying to control the outcomes of everything, which is a sign that that you might not have a lot of humility um, in your life. I, sometimes we hear that word and we maybe judge it or think it means something different, but really it's letting go of believing that you control everything and, um, you know, exactly. really putting your gift or gifts out there into the world for others, but then letting go of how they're received, how people use them or don't, um, whether you're judged or not. It's not easy, but it is incredibly freeing. And I, I'm wondering, um, it just makes me think that if you are bringing yourself back to that place or, or, or you're practicing being in that place, that forgiveness ends up not being very challenging, really. Mm. I, I like that you, and I know you use this word a lot, practice. Mm-hmm. I have a practice of yoga. I have a practice. And I that that's perfect because I think there's a practice of humility. And it kind of dovetails into all the things that you mentioned on your show, having gratitude. Uh, you know, even writing the, the letter you mentioned about writing, you know, you it's one thing to, to go to somebody and to say what you appreciate about them. It is another thing to write a letter because you will say things in that letter you would never articulate, but that's a little bit of a practice. Even that's humility being not. Yeah. Humility mm-hmm. is you're, 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 you're bringing the ego down and you're elevating somebody else is a, is an act of humility. And it's a, I don't know, it's just a beautiful place to be. And I, and it is a practice. Yes. Do I have a specific practice? I I, I don't. Um, I, I I journal every day, and of course, in journaling, you do. For me, journaling is is recrafting, repositioning, and um, you know that 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 seems to help me uh, stay in the pocket. Fantastic, and thank you so much for coming on Freedom for Humans. It's been a wonderful show. I love hearing your story. The book is fantastic, everyone. Do uh, you want to tell everybody where they can find you? Probably the best place is just my name, kengidros.com. All right. So it's Ken Guidros, Letters to My Son in Prison. You can find me at giraffetangooctopus.com. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.